Good morning. Welcome to WCF. We're so glad that you're here this morning as we've gathered to worship our God. You know, the Bible tells us to rejoice in the Lord. It says that this is the day that He has made, and we will rejoice in Him. It also tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength, and that a merry heart doeth good like medicine. And so joy is very important. And again, we know it's not based upon how we feel or, or how our emotions are. It's based upon God and His Word. And we find joy in Him because He's our God. He's a great God. And He's worthy of our praise. Amen? Well, this morning I invite you to stand, and we're going to begin with that, that there is joy in this house of the Lord this morning. Two, three, four. Praise. 
lot of great people around you. Say good morning to them. Remind them that Jesus is here. And then you can be seated. going to continue worshiping the Lord this morning through giving as the ushers come forward for this morning's offering. Offering is an opportunity for us to be able to worship God with our finances and acknowledge his provision in our life. Yeah, and so as the Lord moves on your heart, may you give. God, we thank you for the provision for the week, for the month, for our lives. You're an amazing God. You provide everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. It is by your grace that we are saved. And you give us these, these grace gifts all the time. Lord, we want to respond to your grace by giving back to you as an act of worship. Acknowledging your grace in our life. Acknowledging your provision in our life. And Lord, as these resources, these funds come in, may we use them for your kingdom's sake. For these outreaches, for the ministries that, that we support, for the missions that we support. In all of these things, Father, may you smile in all that's done this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you lead us through our study this morning too. Inspire our, our worship and inspire our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress, you are my portion, you are my hiding place, I believe you are. I hope you notice those statements, the statements that no matter what's going on in our life, we have statements like this, that God is our fortress, he's our portion. He's the one that we can run to and hide in. He's our blessing. He's our promise. He's our provider, our protector. And he's the one that we love. Let's declare our faith in him this morning. Through every battle. Through every battle. Through every heartbreak. Through every circumstance. I believe that you are my fortress, you are my portion, you are my hiding place, I believe you are the way, the truth, the life, I believe. Provider, you are protector. 
Is 
this song your prayer this morning as we lay our lives down before his feet and surrender to him again fresh new this morning. We lay our lives down here at your feet to the one who's worthy. We give
Lord, you are so worthy. And it didn't, wouldn't even matter if you ever did anything for us. Just because you are God. You are worthy of all honor and all praise and all glory. God, we don't want to be people that just rush around in life and get caught up in this and get caught up in that. And then, oh, we remember that we need to spend time with you. We need to pray or whatever it is that we need to do. But God, we desire to be a people that are so enthralled by you. praise just rolls off our lips. And that our lives reflect who you are and what you have done to such a degree. We desire, as they said about your early disciples, those men and women have spent time with Jesus. Let's sing that again. Be magnified. Be magnified. Be glorified. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. As one we cry, be lifted high. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. To you be all the glory. To you be all the honor. Forever be praised. Forever be praised. For you alone are worthy. And you alone are holy. Forever be As you find your seats, if you find your way over to Joshua chapter 3, as we continue our study, as we take a look at Israel going into the promised land and the lessons that we learn from Israel coming into the land. One of the things that that we're going to look at this morning is fear. There is a sense of fear that everyone encounters when you're led to a, go to a place in your life, in the journey, that you've never been before. Obstacles can create fear. 
And these obstacles could be anything from a medical condition to a new job to a new location. Anything that, that can challenge you um, in your journey. And you're either an overcomer by faith and, and the power of God to overcome these obstacles. Or you're being overcome by fear. That fear that debilitates you. That fear that keeps you huddled in. The fear that kind of keeps you in that place where it's like, I can't go there. I want to stay in the comfortable. I want to stay in that which I know. And not venture off. One of the challenges for the nation of Israel is in the first place when God had given them the promise, and we're now kind of coming back to this, is, is Israel was given a promise of a land, but... It was fear that kept him out. It wasn't the lack of ability or capability, but it was fear that kept Israel out of the land the first time that they came to the edge of the Jordan. In fact, in Hebrews 4, 6, it says, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter in because of disobedience. If fear keeps you from accepting what God has provided there is a sense of disobedience where God says, hey, I want you to go do this. I want you to receive this. I want to give these to you and say, God, no. I don't want to. I don't want to go where you want me to go. I don't want to do what you want me to do. I'm scared. And so many times fear causes us to come short of the blessings and the promises of God. And we can be in bondage of fear. We can be captured by fear in such a way that this fear of the unknown creates this overwhelming sense of danger where our fear and anxiety says, you can't do this. And God says, oh yeah, you can. Oh no, God, I can't. I can't move forward. And it really causes us to miss what God has for us. As Christ followers, as children of the mighty God, we should walk fearlessly in this world. Because our God is greater than anything in this world. We should, we should walk fearlessly without anxiety because God has our lives. God has promises. And if we want to enter into those promises, then we have to walk by faith and obedience. The author of Hebrews also says this in Hebrews 4, 1-2. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering His rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have a good news preached to us, just as they also, but by the word they didn't profit, they did not profit them because it was not united with faith. You hear the word and you should hear it with faith, but there is a kind of fear. You know what the fear is? The fear is not entering it. The fear is coming short. The fear is saying, oh, I am scared that I'm not going to enter into the the, the presence, the plan, the, the perfect provision for God. What, what has He got for me? I don't want to miss anything that God has for me. I don't want to miss out on God's plan. And He has the promises that are right before us. But to do that, it requires faith and obedience. And it's really this step of faith within this. Understand, with every direction and every setting that God will bring you in, He has a plan and a path. He's got the plan already laid out, and He's got the path ready to go, but He's waiting for you to walk in it. 
Whatever that plan and path is, God has designed for you specifically for you to walk in. These are the deeds, the things that God has prepared beforehand for them. And so for God, He had given to the nation of Israel the land of Canaan. He said it. This is yours. It was a promise that was made long earlier to Abram to be able to get this land. It was his plan. And his plan was that the nation of Israel would go to Egypt and become a great nation. His plan was to take them out of Egypt through the wilderness and to teach them all about his power and his presence within this. To take them to the water's edge and to deliver it. But they disobeyed and they said, no, we don't want to go in. There's giants in the land. Have you ever got to a place where you looked at the obstacle in front of you and said, I can't go there? There's giants in the land. Or as we're going to study today, there's a swollen river that's blocking us from going in. We can find all kinds of excuses why we can't do what God wants us to do. But the difference between the person that is overcome by fear and the overcomer of fear is the one that sees the plan of God and follows by faith and obedience within this. Within this, God declares His promise. And it's, a, it's an amazing promise to the nation. Deuteronomy 6.23 says this, He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land which He had sworn to our fathers. You know one of God's greatest plans is salvation. God brings you out of sin, sorrow, suffering, and shame in order to bring you into glory, righteousness, His presence, His power, His heaven. You are not just saved from something, but you are saved to something. So many people go, well, I'm saved from my sins. Yeah, that's half of it. But if you walk around saying, well, I'm just saved from my sins, and you never have the focus of what you're saved to, you're going to miss out on God's blessing. And this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to really embrace crossing the Jordan. To really embrace not your salvation from, although that is a blessing, but what has God saved you to? What has God given you, this great salvation? Now, we're starting a session here in chapters 3 through 5 of the crossing of the Jordan. It takes three chapters in, in Joshua's diary of this event. Within this, we're going to see how Israel was coming out and, and you got to love the pictures because God has already parted the Red Sea and taking them out of Egypt. But now he's going to stop the River Jordan in order to take them into the promised land. He creates bookends of a miracle of parting water, of removing the obstacles that are there. To be able to cross the Red Sea to be set free from bondage and to cross the Jordan to enter into God's promises. Chapter 3 is all about crossing the Jordan. Chapter 4 is about establishing a memorial to remember the works. And chapter 5 is all about being spiritually prepared to enter in and embrace that. And you know what's interesting about this? God has a plan and a path, but He also has human responsibility, which means that Israel had to do something. It is not, your, your sanctification is not a passive action. It is something that you participate in. You have responsibility to do 
to value to partner with this and experience all that God has done. And it's my hope that this morning that you're going to understand that through faith and obedience, you can enter in to the promises of God. Let's stand as we read through our passage this morning. Joshua chapter 3, 1 through 17. says this, And then Joshua rose early in the morning, he and all the sons of Israel, and set out from Shittim and came to the Jordan, and they lodged there before they crossed. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be a distance between you and the distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over ahead of the people. And so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of the people. Now, the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And you shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Well, then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here. And hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will assuredly dispose from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Gasherite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes, one man for each tribe. And it will come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord of all the earth rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. And so when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the ark of the covenant before the people. And when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carried the ark were dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflowed its banks in the days of the harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stood up and rose up in one heap, a great distance away at Adam in the city beside Zarethan. And those which were flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And so the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. May God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. Well, one of the first things that jumps right out of the pages is this. God has a plan. Can you imagine God taking the whole nation of Israel and they're all camped out there in the Acacia Forest and God going, hmm, how am I going to get them across? We're going to build a bridge? What are we going to do? How are we going to get them over? No. You think about when did God plan on stopping the water of the Jordan River? Before the foundations of the world. 
This was all part of God's plan. God had planned out how to reveal His glory and His power. God doesn't look at circumstances and say, Oh, I think I'm in a dilemma. How am I going to fix this? No. He's got a plan. Although we look at it differently. Now, Joshua had one job. Lead the people. And so what does he do? His job now is to get the people positioned to see the glory of God. To be able to be in this place. Spiritual leaders will take God's people to a place where they can see the glory of God. That's my job. That's the job of the elders. You as men, as priests of your home, you are spiritual leaders of your home. It is your job to take your family to the place, to the edge, to be able to see the power and the glory of God revealed through these situations. But if you look at them and you go, oh, we can't do this, you're going to miss out. Joshua moved the people from the Acacia Grove seven miles to the bank of the Jordan River to cross the Jordan. I've got a map that I want to share with you within this just to kind of give you an update. So this was the Acacia Grove that was here. This is the plain. Jericho's right there. And the Jordan River runs down here. Just for reference, Adam is right there. And this is the Jabbok River. And we'll reference this in a little bit. Within this. This down here is the Dead Sea. And above, which is not pictured here, is the Sea of Galilee. That runs all the way across here. Jericho, or uh, I'm sorry, Jericho's right here. Ai's right here. And they're going to be coming into Jericho. So you got the people that are Jer- in Jericho that are watching this, not too far away. They know what's going on. Now, the Jordan River at this time was at flood stage. The month is called Nisan. Nisan, the way that the Jewish calendar runs, it runs in half months. So it's half March, half April, like mid-March. And that's the first month of the Jewish calendar. And it was at flood stage. We've got a couple of pictures. This is a picture of the actual Jordan River at flood stage. Now, would you want to walk across that? Can you imagine trying to get across this? And you come to the edge of this and you go, we got a what? And and this is not a few people. Now, the spies, two spies had already gone across. But the rest of the people, we've got women, we've got children, we've got our oxen, we've got all of the different things. We've got to move everybody across this. How are we going to do this? Well, to give you an idea, and I did some research, and I googled it. You know why? You can google just about anything. Well... To give you some statistics for those that are really into stats, the Jordan River flows a total of 60 miles from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. It starts at the Sea of Galilee at 689 feet below sea level and will flow to the Dead Sea, which is at 1,384 feet below sea level. So it's a gentle decline, but it is a flow within that. The Jordan River at normal stage is about 90 to 100 feet wide. Those of you that have gone to Israel, and we have that Israel trip that's coming up in March, encourage you, please come with us. We've got plenty of space. And it's not too late to sign up. We go to the Jordan River. The Jordan River is normally 90 to 100 feet wide. It's not very wide. It's not even like the Columbia. And it's anywhere between 3 to 10 feet deep. You're like, no problem. Yeah. Until you get to flood stage, which it gets much, much wider and much, much deeper within this. 
What is amazing, though, is how the, how the flow rate. The flow rate of the Jordan River is 283 cubic feet per second. At flood, straight, flood stage, it almost triples to 971 cubic feet per second. That is what the Jordan River looks like at flood stage. To give you a reference, the Columbia River flows at 265,000 cubic feet per second. Don't try to cross the Columbia River, please. It doesn't work. I had a youth advisor one time think that he was going to be all that. And he tried to swim out to Sand Island when we were doing a camp on Sand Island. He jumped off at the, at the, the uh, southern tip of, Sand, of St. Helens to cr- swim across. And by the time he got across just from the marina across the island, he almost missed the island. Don't try to do it. But you think about this. How am I going to get my family across this river? How am I going to get into the promised land? What is going to go on? Now, God has already shown himself strong in so many different ways. But when we're facing obstacles, we tend to forget what God has done in the past. And we're so focused on what's in front of us that it is fear that it's debilitating. How is this going to happen? And so Joshua's role was to, to get people there. Now, again, we know that this is based on flood stage, not only because 3.15 tells us, but also 1 Chronicles 12.15 says this. These are the ones who crossed the Jordan in the first month, Nisan, when it was overflowing all its banks, and they put to flight all those in the valleys in the east and the west. Now, again, imagine seeing this obstacle and saying, God, what are you going to do? You've got to provide a way. And it's by faith you're standing there. You've traveled all this way, God, right there. I can see the promise right in front of me. But i got this river right in front of me. Have you ever been in that place where you can see the promise right in front of you, but God, you have this obstacle, this thing that is before you? So what does Joshua do? He's a good spiritual leader, so he prepares by the direction of God the people to cross. To get ready. So he brings them to the edge of camp, verses 2 through 5, and they stay there for three days within this. Now, the number three is important, and we'll unpack it in a little bit. But you never want to miss a picture that God gives to you in Scripture. You know, God gives us pictures in Scripture. Three days. They come to the edge of this river, they stay there three days. In Hebrew accounting of days, any part of a day is counted as a full day. So they would have gone seven miles, not very far. They would have packed up in the morning, gotten seven miles. They're still there on that part of that first day. Then they would have stayed a whole nother day, day number two, on the river. And then the second day they would have packed up and they would have gotten ready to get over. Now you say, Kerry, why is that important? When Jesus died on the cross, he died on Friday, 3 p.m., day one. The Jewish accounting of a day is sundown to sundown. So sundown Friday, or excuse me, sundown Thursday to sundown Friday is day one. And he died Friday, so that's day one. Sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, day two. Sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday, day three. Jesus was in the tomb before 6 p.m. or sundown Friday, all day Saturday, 
and part of Sunday making the three days that are in that. Now hang on to that number three, because we're going to come around to it again in a minute. And we see this that's in there. Now, if you remember previously, there were spies that went into the land and Joshua had the people in the Acacia Grove for how many days? Three days. There was three days that they were camped at the Acacia Grove and then they got up and then they came for three days at the river's edge. How many days does that make? Three plus three equals what? Oh, you don't have your coffee yet, please. Really? Six. Right? We got six days. What day are they going to actually cross over on the Jordan? The seventh day. The seventh day they will be crossing over the Jordan River. What is the picture? The picture is the Sabbath day. The picture is the Sabbath rest that God has provided. So the three days of the spies checking out the land, going to the land, hiding three days. Rahab says, stay out there for three days, right? Hide out your three days and then come and be here. God is providing a picture of how to enter into that rest. And it's by faith. By faith. There is much work that Joshua and all the people did in order to prepare for this rest that God had provided for them, this Sabbath rest. There's something else that's different. Who's been leading or what has been leading the nation of Israel throughout the wilderness experience? God, but by how? A pillar of fire and a cloud. At this point in time, God changes everything. The pillar of fire and cloud is no longer going to lead the nation of Israel, but what or whom is going to lead the nation into the promised land? Who's going first? The ark. The ark is going to be what leads the people into the land. God Himself is going to go. Now, you know what the ark is, right? The ark of the covenant is, is the place that represents God's Spirit. The ark of the covenant was created by Moses according to God's direction for the tabernacle and the worship experience. It was the place that God would say, My presence is going to dwell upon this ark. And the Shekinah glory of God would come upon this, and it would be the place where God would rest. It was an object that would represent His presence for all the people. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 25, 10-22. Just in chapter 3, the ark is mentioned seven times. Chapter 4, uh, or I'm sorry, ten times in chapter 3, four times in chapter 7. And as I said, it was built by Moses, very specifically to be an object that represents the, the, the presence of God. And so the pillar... And, and a fire and cloud is going to go away under Moses' leadership, but now the ark is going to change. What does this ark look like? Here's a picture of a reconstruction of what the ark looks like. If you can see that is within this, it is a box, and it's 51 inches by 31 by 31. They have two golden cherubs. This area is called the mercy seat, and it had two poles on either side. Of the ark because no one was able to touch the ark. Why? Because it was holy. Question. Why would God establish something that was untouchable? Because it was to represent His holiness. In our culture, in our church today, we have lost the sense of holiness. We've lost the sense of awe. 
and the, and the spiritual reflection of God, you are mighty. You are holy. This golden box was so holy that if you were to touch it, that you would die. In fact, in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, 9 and 10, it says this, And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark because an oxen nearly upset it. Well, one, they were bringing the ark back on a cart. It was not supposed to be traveling on a cart. Only the priests, the Kohathites, were supposed to carry this. So they messed up there. The, the oxen stumbled and it was about to fall. Uzzah grabs a hold of it. Then it says, The anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, so he struck him down because he put his hand on the ark and he died there within this. Now, a couple other things that are, that are in there. If I could get that second picture of the ark. Inside the ark, and again, this is not the actual ark. Indiana Jones tells us that it's in a warehouse someplace. No, just kidding. Nobody knows where the ark is. There's two, there's two locations that people believe the ark is. One, a majority of people, a great number of people believe that uh, the ark is located somewhere underneath the Temple Mount. There is another group of people that believe that the ark is located in an Ethiopian church that's guarded by Ethiopian priests and no, one, and no one is able to go see it. A priest is assigned to be the only one that cares for the ark and once he's assigned to that ark, watching, he, he's there for a lifetime. Do we know where it is? No. Why is it hidden? It's hidden because it can become a thing of worship. And it is not. it, it was there for a period of time. But... What was inside the ark? So if you look inside the ark, there would have been the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone, a bowl that would have housed manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. Why did God command all those things to be put in? Because it represents the power and the miracles of God. The mercy seat, which is the location between the two cherubim, is where the blood would be sprinkled, which would atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. So this thing is special. When you see this ark, get up and move. That's what you follow. And you're to stay a good distance. 2,000 cubits. How far is a cubit? 18 inches. If you do the math, it's 1,000 yards. They were to keep 1,000 yards distance. Why? Because God says, I'm taking you to a place that you've never been before. And I'm going before you. I'm preparing the path for you. You've never been here. The nation had come to the water's edge, but they've never crossed over. Is there a place that God is going to take us that we've never been before? Heaven. Who has prepared the path, the way? Jesus. And within this. The other thing that I think is important in verse 5 is this. Joshua doesn't give the people military instructions. He doesn't say, hey, you guys, we're going into Canaan land. We're going to go fight. Get your swords out. Get your spears. Get your shields. We're getting ready to fight. No, what does he say? Consecrate yourself. Purify yourself. Wait a minute. What do you mean, purify myself? We're going to battle. No. We're following God into something new, into something special. And within this, he says, consecrate or separate yourself from everything that is unclean, common, or unholy. Because this is a work of God. This is the role of the church. This is the role of the believer. 
You want to go where God's going? You want to see what God's doing? You want to be in that place? You need to purify yourself and separate yourself from the unclean so that you can receive the incredible blessings that God has for you. You've got to think about who can approach the hill of the Lord? Only the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. You want to see God lead, then you need to separate yourself from the crud and the, and the world and all of these things. And God's going to lead and He's going to open that way. If you're hitting a roadblock and you're going, man, God, I don't know what to do and I'm scared and all this. You know what the first thing you do? Check yourself. And say, God, examine my heart. And see if there's any wicked way in me. That I can confess it and I can be before you. And so as a spiritual leader, Joshua is telling them, you need to wash yourself. You need to be, be pure and, and avoid all of these things. The same way that they were in the giving of the law of Mount Sinai. And be ready to receive the promise of God. Joshua does this. And then he goes to the priest and he says, okay, you guys, take up the ark and get it out to the river's edge. What's interesting in verse 6 is he doesn't say, I'm going to tell you what to do after that. Just go get ready. Go get ready. Are you ready? Maybe you're at that place where you're just like, I don't know, God. This is pretty scary. Are you getting ready for the change, for the new, for what God's going to do within this? And are you ready to follow God in all ways? Psalm 32, 8 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you will go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Literally, I will guide you with my eye. How do we follow somebody when, with their eye? If we look at what they're looking at. If we see what they see. Do you see what God sees within this? The church today is, has a role of spiritual leadership. We need to take people to Jesus. Jesus would say in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the, way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but how? Through me. Through me. Jesus is the way to lead us in. If you want to get into God's heaven, you want to get into God's heaven, God's promise of eternal life. Jesus is the only way and He's gone before you. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Rose again three days later in order to provide the way for us to get to heaven. And He has parted Everything out of the way for us to enter in. You just got to follow Him. Follow His lead. Well, Joshua goes on in the account in verses thirteen or 7 to 13 and tells the people the plan. Here's the plan. This day, or the Lord tells Joshua the plan. This day I will exalt you in the sight of all the Israel and they may know that I've been with Moses just like I've been with you. Joshua got his instructions from God. One of the things that, that as a pastor and as, as spiritual leaders, whether you're in your home or you're in the church, you've got to go to God and do it God's way. Have you ever tried to do something your own way? How did it go for you? God, I got this. Don't worry about it. Don't bother yourself. I've got it. God says, okay, go ahead. Let's see how that works for you. One of the things that I, that I love is God says to Joshua, I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to lift you up the same way that Moses was lifted up. Well, how was that? Through leadership. 
Moses was lifted up because of the miracles that he did, and God's power and presence was represented in Moses' leadership. And if you want to be successful, then you've got to do it God's way and follow God. And, and he says, I'm going to do this, but you've got to do it my way. You've got to trust in him. In Psalm 46.10, it says, cease striving and know that I am God. And I believe the NIV translation it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our strength. And through faith and obedience, if you follow God's plan, then people are going to look at you and they're going to say, yeah, I want to follow you because you're following God. They may not know God, but if, they, if you do and you do, then follow God's plan and path. Demonstrate the power and presence of God in your life. People may not know how to get to heaven, but if they watch you long enough, they'll find the way. And you can introduce them to Jesus. And so Joshua, he, he guided the others, calling them to faith. Verses 9 to 13, he says this, Joshua said to the sons of Israel, come here, hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this you will know the living God is among you, and that he will be assuredly disposed. All of these people, these seven tribes, he says, here's how you're going to know. You think about this. God, I trust in you and I believe in you. But God, help my unbelief. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, I believe and I trust, but I'm still afraid. We are a human people, frail, and we struggle with faith. Is it okay to go to God and say, I believe, but help my unbelief? Absolutely it is. And when Joshua says, on behalf of God, look it, here's how you're going to know I'm with you. Here's how you're going to know that we're going to destroy all seven nations. Here's how you know you can trust me. I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to do something fantastic, unbelievable. Here's how you're going to know that the living God, of, and if you, understand, if you read it in the text, of all creation. How is God going to show his strength over these people? He's going to show his strength over creation. I'm going to do a miracle. I'm going to show something that's going to be spectacular. And it's going to be a witness to you, Israel, but it's also going to be a witness to Jericho. I'm going to do something that will give you confidence. You want confidence to move forward? Consider the miracles of God in your life. Consider what God has done. Within this, consider the fact that God is the living God in contrast to the dead God, the false idols of all of these other people. God's sending a clear message. I'm here. I'm going to do something amazing. He says, behold, pay attention, lift up your eyes as the ark goes in the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. God is not the God of the Jews only. He's the God of all creation. And follow him. And at the command, they're going to cross over. Now, he gives a little specific side instruction we're going to cover next week. He says, look, when you get into the river, we'll have something. But, but just get 12 guys ready. One guy from each tribe. I'll tell you what you need to do later. Right? Now, we know because we've read ahead and we have the account. That each man, one man from each tribe is going to grab a stone. And there's a significant reason for that. But within this, 
Joshua explains the miracle to them, to the priests, to the people. And all that it would entail, that when they walk in, when the priests hit the water, God's going to part it. There's going to be this, this amazing event. And God explains the miracle through Joshua within this. And all of the earth will know when the feet, the feet of the priests hit the water, the water is going to be shut off. And it's going to stand up in one heap. One mound of water all the way back to Adam. So then we come to God showing up. You know what's amazing when God shows up? We can prepare, we can pray, we can watch, we can see, we can go, God, show up, please. And then God shows up and does. And when God shows up and does, it blows your mind. So in verse 14, it says, So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan, priests carrying the ark there out in front, when those that were carrying the ark came to the Jordan River, the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped into the edge, Jordan was at flood stage, and the waters that were flowing down stood up in a heap, in a mound. Now, question, how much faith does it take if you're carrying a chest made out of wood, overlaid with gold, and you're in front, and you've got to go stand in the water? The raging water. Would it take faith to do that? Yeah, absolutely it would. The other thing that I think that is interesting it wasn't just the faith of the priest, but it was the faith of the people. They all got into procession within this while this flood is there. Now, we don't know the place of the crossing for sure. We know it was across from Jericho. But it's something that's interesting. There's a, there's a place, the Arabs call it Al-Magadis. It's seven miles southeast of Jericho. What's interesting about this is this is the traditional site that John the Baptist would eventually be doing ministry and baptizing people. It's the traditional site that is believed where Jesus was baptized. Interesting. It's not very big. We've been there. You could almost jump across at low water. But it was a massive amount of water that was flowing through this. And within this, the priests hit that water. And the water stops. How far did the water stop? I want to show you again. Jericho's right here. The crossing would have been right about in this area. There's a little serpentine area of the river. The water was shut off at Adam, which is almost 20 miles north of Jericho. This is where, at the Jabbok that comes down through here, this is the where, where the water was stopped. All of the water... At, was, after it was dammed up, would have had to flow all the way down to the Dead Sea. Would that have taken some time? For sure. This was not a sudden, oh my gosh, wall of water miracle. This was, okay, we're going, and we stand. And the water starts diminishing. And the flow starts slowing down. And slowing down. And slowing down. The text tells us that the water stopped. The text also tells us that they were standing on what? Dry land. You say, how can a miracle like that must be a natural cause? Historically, there were two times that the Jordan River was completely dammed up where the Jordan River stopped flowing. Dated, the first one was dated um, December 8th, 1262. 
It stopped flowing for 10 hours. The second time, July 11th, 1927, stopped for 21 hours. Both because of earthquakes, where the, where the dirt came down and stopped up the river. Now, you say, well, Carrie, well, it must have been in an earthquake, right? I don't think so. Why? Because God predicted that the water would stop at a certain time when the priest's feet would hit the water. And they would be on dry land. You ever been in a river that's that in the middle of a river? What's in the bottom of the middle of a river? Silt and muck. Right? It says they were on dry land. And it was stopped for a certain amount of time because the text tells us it was stopped all the way until all of the people had crossed on dry land. Science will try to say it was an earthquake, it was a phenomenon, all this thing. No. It was a miracle within this. In the same way that God provided a path through the Red Sea, God provided the path through the Jordan to be able to give the people the land that is there. God showed up in power and in strength and turned off the water and let them walk across. That's the God we serve. That is the God who is Lord of all, the living God over all creation. And whenever he does something, he does something in his time. If you look forward in the book of Revelation, you study the book of Revelation, you see all the plagues, you see all the things that are all part of it. And you go, oh, it's this, it's that, it's the other. No, it's God. And it will happen according to his time, his plan, and his way within this. The other thing that I think is interesting that you, you can't miss in the picture is that the ark stood still and protected the people as they crossed. The ark provided the way. God provided the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the one that stands in the gap between this world and heaven and has provided a way for everyone who has put their faith and trust in Him to enter in. I'm reminded of a verse that I actually have printed out on my truck. I, I really like this verse. Isaiah 43, 2, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers. And they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor the flames burn you. God is with us. There is nothing to fear. God's got your life. He's carrying you forward. And if God could stop the Jordan River, can He not take care of the seven nations in Canaan? And if God can give us life, do we have to fear death? No, we don't. But we can enter in by faith and obedience into the plan that God has for you. I don't know what's in front of you. I don't know what changes are, are happening or where God's leading you. Some people may be facing terminal illnesses. Some people may be facing financial hardships. Unwanted divorce. Delinquent children. A world that is coming apart at the seams. Do we have to be afraid? No. Because God's provided a path through it. A path into His presence and His power. 
So trust in him. Trust in him. He's got it. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you have provided a way in and through all of these trials. That with every difficulty, you provide a way through it. And your provision in providing a way through it is that you go before us. You are leading us through these hardships. You are leading us through these difficulties. Your power and your presence is here. Jesus, you promise that you will never leave us, nor will you forsake us. You have given us a plan and a path, a promise that is fulfilled, and nothing can stop it because you are the living God over all creation. May we trust in you in all things. We thank you for these promises that keep us through the hard times. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress. Oh, you are my portion. You are my Tears and doubts, they can all come to.
Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. You never send us into difficulties without first going before us. Remain present with us and provide a way through it. We can have full confidence that you will deliver us because you are almighty. As we go out today, may we walk in the confidence of knowing that you've got it. Whatever difficulties before us, may we not be afraid. May we just follow you. We thank you for our time and the lessons of Joshua. And may we apply these lessons to our lives. And in everything, make you smile. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.